On today's episode, I am discussing my own personal battle with anxiety, which has been very real and very hard, and how it has impacted the lives of the people around me and also my own heart and my own mind. I am sharing four steps that I have taken according to scripture to really face it head on and fight it every day with intentionality, while also discussing medicine and how that has helped me drastically. Many Christians are told by the church that God will heal them from anxiety, but what if he doesn't? What does it look like if God chooses to not heal us, to live day to day with this anxiety, sometimes debilitating, while still trusting Jesus with our lives? I hope that this conversation encourages you and blesses you and reminds you that you're not alone in your struggle with anxiety or depression. And if you do enjoy this conversation, make sure to listen to episode 45, Dealing with Depression as a Christian, and episode 87, The Relationship Between Faith and Feelings. Let's jump in. We were never promised that life would be easy, but when we do it together, it becomes much easier. I genuinely believe that we have to be intentional about creating a joyful life. I believe in happy parenting, healthy marriages, long-lasting friendships, and making perfect memories in imperfect homes. But those things require deep, holy heart work. I am passionate when it comes to sharing vulnerably about the things that people are not always comfortable discussing, and I am passionate about sharing practical wisdom that has helped me to help you navigate through life less stressfully and more purposefully. On the Living Easy Podcast, you'll hear honest insight with a biblical foundation to help you become best friends with your spouse again, to love your motherhood so much that you don't need wine or even coffee, to get through the day and to find hope in the very real trials and pain that we face moment to moment. I want to challenge you every Monday to live life with purpose, to choose joy and to honor God with all that you do. Are you ready to fight hard for that sweet, abundant life? If so, I would love to do it together. So grab a cup of coffee and join me every Monday. I'm Lindsay Maestas, and this is the Living Easy Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Living Easy Podcast. This is Lindsay Maestas. If you've never been here before, I'm so thankful to have you. And I am really excited about today's episode, not because it's a fun topic, but because it is something that has really, really been a battle in my own life. And it's something that God has taught me so much through because in those moments when we're deeply, deeply struggling are the moments when we're most on our knees. And so I have found that in these moments when I'm on my knees and crying out to God for relief from anxiety are the moments when I'm most susceptible to hear his word and to receive his peace. So I want to share with you biblically what God says about fighting anxiety and increasing the peace and the rest in your life. So a little backstory on me. I had my son Sutton um, seven years ago. He just turned seven. And the second that boy came out of my body, I instantly had deep, 
intense anxiety. Um, I know now that it was postpartum anxiety, but if you haven't heard my story, I genuinely just thought I was a horrible mom and had no idea what I was doing. I was terrified to put him in his car seat. I was afraid I was going to break his bones, basically doing anything. When he would wake up from a nap, I almost literally had a panic attack every single time. Um, It increased the arguments between Jesse and me because my anxiety resulted in anger because control is a big thing to me, which God is also working on me in. But um, I felt completely out of control of my own life and it lasted forever and it hasn't fully gone away. When I had my son Saxon, it definitely balanced my hormones out far more than what I had experienced in the past, but anxiety is still very real in my life. Depression is very real in my life. Um, I recently actually started taking Zoloft, which is the first time I've ever actually been on a medication for this. And I know some Christians really struggle with that, but for me, I always say if I could have prayed it away, read it away, worshiped it away, it would have been gone. I have Um, talked it away. I've done anything in my power and finally realized, you know, I need to try something um, for the sake of my family, honestly, and the sake of my mental health, because I was starting to have some really scary thoughts recently and um, that I had never had before. So I started taking it and it is absolutely wild how much it has helped me and my energy levels and my clarity and my reactions to my children. It's been very beneficial for me. However, I don't want this to be something I'm on forever if I can avoid that, primarily because it has decreased my sex drive a little bit and that's not something I'm into. So I'm just continuing to seek God in this for healing while just taking the edge off for a little while. So I want to share with you what God has taught me and the things that I've leaned into. And I just want to encourage anybody who is on medication or who is seeking out the idea of medication, you know, that God created doctors. This is my personal belief. God created doctors. God created medicine. And if you broke your arm and needed a cast, would you be weak for getting a cast on your arm? No, you would be smart, you know, for taking care of yourself. And it's the same for your mind. There is no shame or guilt that needs to be had when you are seeking help and needing some sort of medication. So I just want to give you freedom that if that is something that you are looking into or feel that you need, there is no shame in that. And God loves you just the same. And I believe everybody's journey looks different. Everybody's healing journey looks different. There may be some people who have been completely healed without medication, and that's incredible. That was not my story, unfortunately, and it's not the story of so many. So I just really wanted to share that. But with that said, there is growth and healing and maturity that comes with the Christian faith alongside that medication. I don't want to just give up and say, oh, this is working. This is for me. I want complete healing. And that may never happen until the other side of heaven, but I want to do my work and live out an active faith and do the best that I can in order to heal. So how do we as Christians, fight anxiety according to scripture. Even in 2022, when our world is falling to pieces and is just a really, really big struggle. So just to kind of give some context, the U.S. is number one in anxiety compared to Ukraine, Lebanon, and Nigeria. The people in these countries 
especially in war-torn countries, have reason to be anxious, right? And we in America, while we don't have everything and while every home looks different, every financial situation, every marriage, we have much more accessibility to the church, to God's word, to the people of God, and to means and resources. And so I understand as an unsaved individual why this anxiety would be, because if we feel like we're hopeless, if we feel like we're purposeless, and we're going to die and everything that we've ever loved will disappear, that will create anxiety within us. But as Christians, God has given us so many promises that we can lean into that will replace the peace in our hearts. And I will say in those moments of deep anxiety or panic attacks or depression, the only thing that kept me going for my family and for myself were the promises of God. And it was something that I had to memorize. I memorized so much scripture. If you haven't walked through my Wife Project course, I do teach. It's very much focused on faith, not only marriage, but I teach how to memorize scripture in a really easy way that has changed the game for me and for my boys to where we really are able to memorize scripture at a more rapid pace and have those promises stored in our hearts. So let's begin by going through Philippians 4, 4 through 7, because these are some verses that have absolutely transformed my heart and my mind in moments of need. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, As somebody who struggles with sometimes debilitating anxiety, when I would read, do not be anxious about anything, I would think, yes, that would be wonderful. (laughs) Can we, how do I do that though? And so I want to share a few ways that have helped to relieve and sometimes release fully my anxiety and that I would encourage you to put into action. Number one is to resolve controversy. So you guys, to have peace in you, you must have peace around you as much as it depends on you. So remember Romans, it talks about living peaceably with all so far as it depends on you. And this doesn't mean that we give up when things get hard or we're like, you know what? I sent that text message and they didn't receive it well, so I give up. Go out of your way, live above reproach as a Christian and fight for the goodness of that relationship and for the resolve. This doesn't mean you have to become best friends again or heal whatever was broken. It just means that there is true forgiveness and peace and reconciliation that has happened because of whatever issue is creating controversy. So in this scripture, and I don't even want to say these words because I'm going to butcher them, but um, in Philippians 4.1, it talks about, I think it's Iodia and Syntyche. They were remembered for being in disagreement, even though they labored alongside Paul and likely went on mission with him. So imagine being remembered as somebody who was always in disagreement with somebody else or who was always the drama starter or who always had an issue with that person or this person. And it's hard when we're around a lot of sinful people. Jesse and I have always joked with our friends, like we're all just broken sinners trying to deal with each other, right? And everyone has their stuff. And so 
how do we live in a way that is fighting toward good? It's sometimes dealing with the fact that there will be disagreements. There will be controversy. There will be things that we don't see eye to eye on, but we are responsible to resolve that controversy. We are called to be the bigger person, the one to stand up and say, you know what? This person was very hateful or said awful things or broke my heart, but I am responsible for the way that I speak to them. I'm responsible for the way I respond. And so I'm going to ask for forgiveness for anything that I did that could have hurt them. And I do have some episodes on the podcast very early on where I talk about what to do with broken friendships. Um, So just strive. I think one of the biggest things that resonated with me once was I went to a funeral and almost every single person who stood up to speak at that funeral said about this woman, I never heard her say a bad word about anybody. And I knew that could never be said of me, especially pre-Jesus. And I think especially as women, we have this temptation to bond over gossip and bond over the people who have hurt us and bond over the people who make a fool of themselves. And it really is just very sinful. Scripture speaks against gossip. It is just a sinful thing. And so if your coworkers are gossipy or your family is gossipy or even you and your spouse are gossipy, I challenge you to ask God for forgiveness in that, to repent and to ask him to change your heart. It doesn't bring good. It doesn't bring God glory. So while we can talk about people and it's easy to talk about people, it shows so much more intelligence and maturity to discuss ideas and vision and goals and life together rather than people. And there's a quote that I just have pinned in my heart and it says, great minds discuss ideas, average minds discuss events, and small minds discuss people. And the reason I'm talking about this is because gossip, and scripture says this, gossip fuels a fire in our hearts, right? It stokes that fire. So if you're already angry and frustrated, it's only going to be magnified when we talk about it over and over and over again. And what does that do? It produces and increases anxiety. So number one, resolve controversy. Number two, rejoice always. Joy is the supernatural delight in the person of God and in God's plan. So this real joy, right? Not just happiness when circumstances are great and life is great and everything's going smoothly, but the joy when somebody in your family is deeply sick or when your finances are not going well or when your marriage is breaking or when and you're, you lose your job, when you still have a joy, not pretend, not fake like at church. Hey, how are you? I'm great. How are you? You know, be honest about your feelings, but live in a place of joy. That, when we do that, that is one of the infallible signs of the presence of God. When we can find joy in the brokenness and the circumstances and display it to the world, that is one of the loudest voices for Jesus. And I can think of so many so many examples that I have seen of this that have pointed me and pointed me toward Jesus and also really deepened my relationship with him is when I see people in the most hopeless of positions, and I'm sure you can relate to this, and they still have joy and they still have hope. And though they may be broken and in tears, they still rely upon the promises of God. But 
when we allow ourselves to be dictated by our feelings and dictated by our circumstances, we are not trusting in the Lord fully. To rejoice is a choice, not a feeling. We must live in that decision every morning when we wake up. It is not easy. I, my husband, would be the first to tell you that joy, natural joy, does not come easily to me. It is something I have to pursue and seek out every day if that means a 30-minute drive to like clear my head. Those are things that I do or being very, very adventurous. Those things bring joy into my life and help me to see, to be outside in creation, to worship, to experience God. I have to choose it. In Proverbs 15, 15, it says, he who has a merry heart has a continual feast. We are constantly blessed and blessing others when we choose joy day in and day out. And so Paul in Philippians 4, he's repeating it. Rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. And in Philippians 4, Paul is repeating his his statement. He's saying rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. And any repetition that we see in scripture is them saying, hear me, listen to this, listen to what I have to say. And he's saying rejoice always. It is not based on your circumstances. It's a decision that you make. It is a choice rather than a sensation. So we then say, okay, Lord, I will fight my anxiety by choosing to react to my uncertainties in my life by faith alone. Number three, let your reasonableness be known to man. Man, guys, our society is critical and cruel and angry and hardened. And that is exactly what Jesus said would happen in the last days. He said that we would be lovers of self first and foremost, which absolutely has happened, lovers of money, and that the love of many would grow cold. And so I want to challenge you to not let that be you to not grow cold toward your relationships, to not grow cold toward politics or laws, to not grow cold toward the people in your life who believe differently than you, or to harden yourself and isolate yourself because friendships or relationships can be hard. Because God is the author of good, and good stems from fighting through the hard, where beauty comes from ashes, and where he makes all things good in his power. When we allow ourselves to grow cold-hearted, cold-heartedness, I will say, is the number one cause of broken marriages, of broken friendships, of broken relationships with children, is when we grow cold against the circumstances of that relationship. It will destroy your peace. And the tendency of people as they grow in their faith to get a little bit unyielding or legalistic, it then becomes judgmental or critical or condemning toward people who are not living out the faith that you're living out after 10 to 15 to 20 years of faith. It's not loving to have a judgmental spirit, to not be understanding and compassionate toward even their sin and their brokenness while still loving them enough to call them up in compassion and in grace. We have to remember as Christians that we were not always so mature as we may be now. Legalism where there's no room for growth or for failure is not the faith of Jesus. 
God sat with the sinners. He sat with the broken. He said, I've come to heal the sick, not the well. That is what he came for. And that's why he sat at the table with sinners and prostitutes. And that's why he forgave the thief on the cross without him having to prove himself to Jesus. Let us have compassion on our spouses who may not be walking faithfully, our children who may not be walking faithfully, friends who may have walked away or are walking in a lukewarm faith. Let us give compassion and reasonableness to them. Let them see our grace because where do we see Jesus the most? And where do we have the most peace? It's when we are being generous and loving people well and being faithful in what God has called us to. It's not when we're laying down the hammer or beating people over the head with a Bible because they're doing things differently than us. Compassion and understanding and reasonableness is so important. I remember, and I don't know why this just came to my mind, but I was sitting and watching The Notebook with an ex-boyfriend and one thing that he, and while it very much didn't work out with us, he sat and he said, all that I want in my life and in a spouse is someone who is as understanding as that. And I started thinking about it and I was like, gosh, I've never really thought about having someone who is understanding. And yet Jesse is one of the most understanding, patient people in the world. And I've learned so much from him because his peace comes from not getting involved in other people's mess. His peace comes from not telling me how to live my life, but praying for me in the areas that I fall short. His peace comes from not allowing himself to be stirred up by the issues within our home, whether it's the children acting out or me being frustrated or my anxiety that of course affects him. It's him saying, I understand. I may not fully understand what you're walking through, but I understand it's hard for you. How can I love you better in this season? And his peace flows throughout our home. He sets the tone in our home and makes me want to be better. And so in that, it just shows me peace comes from not getting involved and stirred up in all of these things, but in being a reasonable, understanding, compassionate person. It flows down into your heart because you're spending more time praying for people than you are trying to fix people. Number four, reject anxiety. Philippians 4, 6 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. We must reject anxiety. And then it goes on to say, after we do these things, after we rejoice in the Lord, and after we let our reasonableness or gentleness be known to all, after we choose to not be anxious about things, but by prayer and petition with thanksgiving to present our request to God, then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is literally telling us, you guys, here is a four-step plan, essentially, to not living in this anxiety. And it is. It's stopping ourselves. It's taking our thoughts captive to say, for example, my morning was pure chaos. Saxon hates camp, okay? And we have ensured that nothing bad happened. He just hates camp. And it turned into a morning of screaming and crying because we were saying, well, we already paid for your camp and it's non-refundable. You have to go to camp. And then some of my work stuff got a little bit mixed up with my team. And then Jesse was getting really, really stressed because he didn't know if he was taking Saxon to camp, but we had to get Sutton to camp. And I had a call I had to jump on. 
pure chaos, right? And so in that moment, I can react out of anger and frustration, which is my natural tendency. Or I can stop and say, okay, God, you have this. You have my morning. Your mercies are new every moment truly because I'm being sanctified in you and I have access to the Holy Spirit. So I can rejoice in you. I can say, okay, God, you are good. You're good in the thick of this. You're good and you see us and you love us and you're going to smooth things out. We just have to figure out the details. Then I need to allow gentleness and reasonableness to be known to my family. They need to see, okay, okay, I can either say, oh my gosh, (laughs) what are you guys doing? Sorry, if you're on headphones. Or I can say, okay, let's figure this out. Saxon, you really don't like camp. I can handle having you at the house for a little while while Jesse goes to the gym or goes and does this and takes Sutton. And we can discuss what tomorrow looks like, but right now it's just not looking like it's going to work and it's an option. So, and then I can tell Jesse, hey, you go ahead, just do your thing. I'm going to figure it out. I have a call. I'm going to turn on the TV. You know, and not that that's easy, not that that is a solution really, but it is a solution that we had to work with. And that reasonableness and gentleness brought down the tone of the home. And then I pray, God, give me the guidance. Give me wisdom for what I need for today. Give me wisdom to be kind to Saxon, even though he's throwing a fit and screaming and crying, um, but also to be stern in my discipline. Give me the ability to love my husband and say, give him a call and say, hey, I'm so sorry that we had a stressful morning. Like, don't let this five minutes ruin your whole day. I love you. I'm here. Do you need anything? Those are things that are not natural to me, but they come with practice and with intentionality. And so lastly, we're rejecting this anxiety, right? We're being anxious for nothing. We're not being apathetic or lazy when it comes to fighting this, to taking thoughts captive, to choosing this intentionality. We must realize that this world, this this purpose is for ministry. It's for the greater good in the long run. It's for people to see the goodness of God in us in the thick of our circumstances and hardship. We see in Greek that there are two words that form anxiety. One word means to tear, and one word means the mind. It's marizo and naus, I think is how it goes. But this means, I mean, anxiety means literally to divide the mind. And what does scripture say? It says the double-minded person is unstable in all their ways. We are fighting against the principalities and the darkness. We are not fighting against people or even our circumstances. And so we see in Philippians 4 where it says, be anxious for nothing but. And that word but is a contrast and the contrast is a solution. The cure for our worry is to redirect our energy and to replace our anxiety. And in First Peter, we see that Peter uses the word casting, casting it out. And so to fight anxiety, we fight by prayer through worship, devotion. When we feel anxious, we have to start worshiping. When your heart is weighed down, lift your hands up by supplication, a strong cry. Remember that prayer is your strength. Be desperate and trust that God will answer those prayers. Know that he will intercede for you. Next is thanksgiving. Do not forget to thank God even in your trials because trials are the tools that bring us change, right? Like I said, it gets us on our knees in the moments when we're really broken, when we just see devastation all around us or there's no way to look up. The only place we can go is prayer. And so give thanks. Thanks for the good that you do see. Even if you have limited funds and strain on your family, thank the Lord for 
food on the table and even if it's minimal and a roof over your head, the thanksgiving that we give allows us to recenter and repurpose our hearts. And then of course, make your requests known to God. These are not ultimatums that we're giving him. We're not treating him like Santa Claus. We're not throwing temper tantrums or demands, but we can be specific, the Bible says, about our requests and what we want God to do in our lives. Be anxious for nothing, prayerful in everything, and thankful for anything. I hope that this episode encouraged your heart and allows you to kind of repurpose and rethink through the way that you handle your anxiety as it flows in and out every single day. If you enjoyed this episode, please give a quick rating and review on the podcast on iTunes. It takes one second, but means so much. And also don't forget to share on stories and tag us. I love seeing who's listening. Um, One of my favorite things to see is where you guys are listening. I always see people like pushing their stroller while they're walking or doing dishes and listening. It just helps me to kind of be there with you guys. So I love seeing that. If anything, I just pray that this encourages you, that this gives you a sense of peace and a sense of freedom in your own lives and just want you to know how much I love you. I know how heavy this can be and I am walking it right alongside you. I love you guys and I'll talk to you next time. Bye.